0: Hi, welcome to Tokyo on Fire. My name is Timothy Langley. Today is March 13th. I'm joined with my colleague Michael Chuchek. Michael Chuchek is adjunct fellow at Temple University in the Institute of Contemporary Asian Studies. He's also the famous author of Shisaku, the foremost blog on Japanese politics. Today our burning issue is the 70th anniversary of the end of the Pacific War. Today we're going to talk about the implications of that date as it approaches, September 2nd, and the background goings-on for statements that will be written, events that will be held to celebrate uh, the end of the war. Michael, what do you think the end of the
1: war means to us 70 years later? Well, celebration is a great word, and certainly for a lot of Japanese, uh, celebration is perhaps the better word than the word that's going to be used, which is commemoration. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are a lot of commemorative events because there were, in the last years of the war, um, the most bloody and the most awful uh, events, at least of the Pacific War. Uh, the uh, bombings of Tokyo, the, new, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the, we had the Battle of Okinawa. These will all be so commemorated this year uh, in this the, Sep-4, and it's very likely that since it's been 70 years, this is the last time that there will be persons present, or at least a 10 year anniversary where there will be persons Mm -hmm. present who were there, who were participants, except as children. We may have at the 80th some children who remember the bombings, but this is the last time where we have combatants and persons who were adults. They're in their 90s, late 90s now. Uh, So this is for, in many ways, a last chance to clear the decks and clear accounts, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the participants in East Asia are thinking just along those lines. One of the
0: reasons why this is a burning issue for us is because the Prime Minister will make a speech and write a a declaration commemorating the 70th anniversary, and as I understand it, the Emperor will also do likewise. He'll make a presentation or a speech, and there's some um, trepitude some, some nervousness about what the prime minister might say with regard to the end of the war and what the emperor might say. Yeah,
1: it's, it, the emperor is actually pretty safe. The imperial family in the last decade has reemerged as the voice against the war. And it's been really remarkable uh, in the terms of the continuity that has been reestablished. About 10 years ago, when there was dissension within the family about basically the succession. There were no male heirs for the throne uh, after the current crown prince and his brother. The the thought that the imperial line could end started to create tensions and they, they were talking about different things. Now they're all on, on the same message and it's the message established by the current emperor. He is profoundly affected psychologically by the war and its end, and how it transformed his world and the world of his father, the the famed Emperor Hirohito, the Showa Emperor. Mm-hmm. His son, the Heisei Emperor, who now is the is ruling, is at the end of his his uh, his, his time. Uh, he probably would like to. Re- to retire as emperor, but no emperor has retired in a very, very long time. Uh, the Taisho emperor was pushed to the side, the, the emperor prior to the Showa emperor, and his son was appointed regent, but we had in Japan retired emperors, people who could get off at, out of all the ceremonies that the emperor has to do. That is something that probably the present emperor wants to do, but in order to maintain the dignity and continuity of the house, doesn't. Uh, he, however, realizes this is his last chance, basically, to make a statement, and he'll make a really strong statement against war in general. Uh, and uh, there's no question that the countries around East Asia have come to accept the, the imperial house as the nation, our nation, the nation of Japan's conscience. Mm-hmm. By contrast, uh, Prime Minister Abe has created a great deal of nervousness throughout the region and within Japan, that he's going to get up on a very high pedestal and then blow his performance, that he's going to deliver a statement on this 70th anniversary that will disappoint or even anger the uh, countries immediately next to Japan, South Korea, and China, and possibly even the United States. Because he has a history of hemming, hedging, or even completely denying uh, Japan's less attractive features in the pre-1945 era. Mm -hmm. So he's coming up on that and he has appointed a commission. He's got Uh, a commission, doesn't he? He has a commission of 16 very uh, astute international businessmen, diplomats, former diplomats, uh, scholars, who are going to advise him, not tell him, advise him on what should be in the speech and what shouldn't. And we had a big development uh, this week when the number two on that commission, uh, uh, Professor uh, Kitaoka, Shinichi Kitaoka, uh, who has been previously seen as a very conservative voice among the, the prime minister's advisors, said in a speech, the, the, the Prime Minister better say the word invasion of Asia. He has to use the word invasion, shinryaku, or else the, the speech is not going to go well. That's exactly the word that the Prime Minister has always avoided saying, and, in, and when he's been asked about it in the Diet, he said, well, you know, the word invasion has many meanings, and historians have to decide what that meaning is, not us politicians. So, he's been pressed on this before, mm. and uh, it hasn't gone well.
0: Well, it depends on what the definition
1: of is, is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you would think that there would be some, some uh, opportunity for um, a matching of the messages between the imperial household and the prime minister's office, Well oh, yeah. they No, they don't get along
1: very well. Mm. Uh, they, it's not formal, it's not out in the open, but it's clear that the imperial house has been pressing uh, as hard as it can. It's a very constricted and constrained uh, forum for them. They are the guardians of a 2,000 year tradition, a single family yeah. that has been ruling Japan for that entire time. The oldest surviving monarchy in
0: the entire history of mankind. No, it's
1: Exactly. It's, it's a dynasty that has lasted far, far longer than anywhere else in the That's world. Right. And The present emperor is quite aware that he is the steward of that Mm -hmm. tradition, Uh, so he does not want to disturb the apple cart, doesn't want to push very hard, but nevertheless there have been very interesting words that have made their way into his statements and the statements of his son, such as, correct history. What does correct history mean? We should remember correct history. Well, who's doing the incorrect history Mm -hmm. is the question that immediately comes to mind. And one has to think that it's a a message to the prime minister that there are some things that cannot be denied Mm. and uh, you've been on the wrong side of history.
0: Well, you know, a lot of what we talk about is Japanese politics, Japanese politicians, machinations that go on on... Uh, Japan's version of Capitol Hill in Nagatacho, mm-hmm. and there certainly seems to be a bit of disdain from the the imperial household and maybe from the um, the bureaucracy as well towards politicians in general. Mm-hmm. I think this is a long-standing long kind of uh, sentiment that mm-hmm. uh, you are uh, elected officials but you're feeding off the government trough and you really are, you know, you're pushing laws through but it's the how you do your business is not really as, as respected as what we are doing.
1: Well, certainly they, they have and they have the sense that they are the permanent guardians of the national tradition and you politicians are here, to get, here today, gone tomorrow. That's right. But of course, they're not here today, gone tomorrow. They, mm-hmm. they get elected over and over again and then their sons get elected and then their grandsons and their granddaughters and whatever. Uh, so there are, there are two elites that are about battling it out. Uh, one which is goes to the, the people every few years and says, are we doing okay? We okay? And the others who, through their, their, long, their hierarchy and their long tradition, say, we are doing okay, right? Yes, to themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there is still a lot of disdain, but again, the changes under the Abe administration in terms of how the personnel agency works, where the personnel agency was basically self governing and now has been brought under the complete control of the prime minister's office and the, uh, the, pr- the private residence of the prime minister. That has all been pulled in into the Naikakfu and the Kante. Mm-hmm. So that, where in the past, uh, bureaucrats may have had some leeway to talk down or, or, or spread rumors about politicians, or about especially about the current administration, if they want to advance nowadays, they have to please politicians and they have to be close to politicians. And politicians have to know them and they have to interact in a way that didn't exist two years ago before Abed came into office. This creeping encroachment on the public sphere,
0: um, the, the bureaucracies, the uh, the military, the Department of Defense, mm. is also a part and parcel of that. They're slowly being directed to come into the prime minister's, uh, the Sorifu, the, the residence of the prime minister or the, the office of the prime minister. Yeah, That's um,
1: that, that's really alarming, isn't it? It's not so much alarming as that it's different. Uh, it, the, there was so much in the post-war era, the, the, the responsibilities and the centers of power were so dispersed that the sense that the prime minister was the director or the CEO of the country never had any traction. Mm-hmm. It, it, at best, he was the custodian of the country. Uh, now, however, since the first the reforms done under Hashimoto uh, in, in 96, 97, uh, then on, which were furthered under Koizumi, Koizumi did a lot, did a lot to, ce- to centralize powers and decision-making in the Kante. And then the obvious, we had this, we had the fourth anniversary this year of the 311 disaster, uh, uh, the triple disaster of earthquake, tsunami, and then the nuclear accident at Fukushima. The management of that showed that there still was a long way to go in terms of bringing information into the Kante and then being able to use that information and sending it out as orders mm-hmm. all around the country. It wasn't a bad response, but it could have been better. And all these things, these movements over the, over the years and then this sudden intrusion of this disaster, have all made it possible for Abe to come in and say, I need more. Mm-hmm. And basically, the other members of the LDP say, okay. Yeah. What, what else are they going to say? Well, in the past, when the factions were strong, it was a different story, it wasn't sure was. it? Yeah, I mean, when we first came here, the factions still were standing. They ruled, and nowadays the factions are there basically for party fun and and fundra- parties and fundraising. So right. you could get to meet people and you get to donate, but that's all. They can't force Prime Minister Abe to put whomever they want in, in the in the cabinet. They tried in this last round when they, he did the cabinet reshuffle and the uh, long-time Tanaka faction, which is now run, run by uh, Nukaga faction, he uh, forced Abe to put in Yuko as Minister of Economics, trade, and industry, and that went disastrously. Yes. She's had to resign very quickly in the in the scandals of the fall, and now that faction, it can't enforce its will. It used to be the biggest yes. faction, mm-hmm. and all the other factions are quite small as compared to the faction that produced the prime minister. Uh, the, what is was the Fukuda faction in the history in the Semukai, historical type. Right. Yeah, the, the, the yes, right, the same kind. Uh, this means that there's no one to oppose the prime minister now. Mm. Uh, with the with the former Tanaka faction on its back, it just leaves the prime minister and nobody else. Mm-hmm. I don't want
0: to get too far away from the 70th year uh, commemoration, mm. but something you said sparks a, another. Um, thought in my mind and that is you know we went from Hashimoto Koizumi and uh, at around that time also a reconstruction of the prime minister's residence mm-hmm. and also the reconstruction of all of the diet buildings that house the uh, the individual members of the parliament mm-hmm. and you look at that that um, building and the complex there it is massive compared to what it used to be mm-hmm. and um, even back then you could tell there there was a sense that there is a growing into this this domination this this um, this role of Japan in the world economically at least mm. and a desire for um, the the political realm, which includes kante as well the the the, the bureaucracy, to uh, project we 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 can handle these kinds of things. we we need this kind of structure to to project our, our image around the world and also to get things done. Um, and then we had the, the triple disaster. Um, we had the anniversary just a couple of days ago. Um,
1: Where the hardware was there.
0: The hardware was there, yes. They were they're kind of growing into it even now.
1: Yeah, but the software wasn't. Yes. The ability to communicate with people, the ability to get straight answers from people, uh, the ability to have, be, place people there whom you could trust,
0: mm-hmm. did
1: not exist. And that was what made the uh, the personnel uh, reforms that the Abid administration had asked for so convincing. Mm-hmm. Whether they're going to do good by it is another question entirely. In terms of the, the that old building, the old residence that we know, it's full of a lot of ghosts, mm-hmm. and a lot of them of the, the pre-war era. It's in, it was in that building that was broken into on... February the 26th. We also had a commemoration of that. That's a big date in Japanese history where the Imperial Palace was surrounded by rebel soldiers in 1936. And invaded. they invaded, they, they stabbed to death the Minister of Finance. Uh, they tried to kill the Prime Minister. They killed many heads of, of, of industry. It was an attempted coup d'etat. And that building was one of them that they had seized. So it, it has ghosts. So the new building doesn't have that. Yes. But it, but it is also a statement that uh, Japan has finally arrived and, and it's good that that statement was made, mm. I think. Uh, and in the, that is reflected in many things. Uh, the uh, Diet members' offices have all been redone. They used to look like... They're look, beautiful now. They're beautiful now. They used to look like the worst high school in the inner city in, in the United <laughs> States. I couldn't believe it when I first came here, and I would go to a diet member's office—these tiny cubby holes in these linoleum-floored places. And I said, "This cannot be the world's second-largest economy." But it, but you remember those? Sure. It, oh God, yeah, that was it, awful.
0: It was, and and the boxes of papers and documents that are literally everywhere. A staff of maybe three, no more than three. You can't have more than three, um, logistically. Mm-hmm and the inside office for uh, the
1: member. It was a different time. Very different. In terms of the commemorations, I think that the the Okinawa commemoration in June of the Battle of Okinawa is going to be really fraught. We've seen a lot of protests at the Henoko site. It's getting hot there, isn't it? Uh, Even yesterday, they were peeling people off the fence, telling people who were trying to protest the, the simple test boring, you know, t- they're t- they're boring holes into the seabed for testing to see if they're where you know the the uh, bedrock is, so that when they finally do, and it's almost inevitable that they will, put in the uh, landfill uh, landing runways that are there uh, for the the American base that they're going to build there. Uh, they. They're doing the, all the preliminary work for that after, what, when, when was the agreement? The, the, on, uh, the, uh, the incident was in 1995, I guess so the agreement was in 97 along with the revised defense gu- guidelines saying we're going to move Futenma to Henneko. And since 1997 it's just been delayed, 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 delayed. But now they're actually doing it and the protests are ongoing and we have the 70th anniversary of Okinawa's sacrifice to save the Hondo, to mm-hmm. save the main islands. And the Okinawans have never forgiven the mainlanders for being the only land battle for, on the sure. on Japanese national soil.
0: Yes, well, you can't really characterize that as a love-hate relationship. It's mostly just a hate-hate relationship, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Well, it, it, it's a disdain, hate it relationship. Is, yeah. uh, there's this, there's a, l- a lot of looking down on the Okinawans. Uh, they were outside of Japanese authority for a long time, uh, in the ni- until 1972, when the reversion took place. So they they were there was a time that they were Americans. That's right. From 40 from 45 all the way to 72, and uh, so they're, they're strange. They're Hentai. strange. They're strange. They they, they eat funny foods. That's right. Uh, They they sing and dance, and they always seem to need subsidies. Yes. Uh, So there's a lot of disdain on this side. On the the Okinawan side is you guys in 1951 and then again in 1960 signed agreements with the United States about bases in Japan. In Japan. Then why are 70% of all bases now in Okinawa? We weren't a, a part of that discussion. We were outside of the authority of, of your government at mm. that time. How can we be the ones who are hosting most of the U.S. forces now? And that's a pretty good question.
0: Yeah. Well, Okinawa is a very special place. Um, it is, of all the prefectures, the one that has the lowest um, amount of uh, physical income of the, the the people who live there. It's also got the... Uh, highest unemployment rate, mm-hmm. so it is really something strange of, of all of the other uh, prefectures, and it's it's somewhat strange because it it really is an island. It it could possibly be a resort island. I mean, it's not that large an island. Uh, it does have some resources, but it does seem to be somewhat retarded in its in its growth and in its development. And I think that's largely um, as as a result of the prom the the just the incredible. Um, uh, domination of air bases and and military forces, U.S. military forces that are there.
1: There are people who argue that, but the Okinawans have had a pretty good deal uh, in some ways. Uh, And it's reflected in that uh, they are among the longest living, if they're not the longest living of all Japanese, who are the longest living people in the world, which makes them the longest Mm -hmm. living people in the world. It's the only place in Japan where there's even close to uh, restoration, not restoration, the uh, uh, replacement rate in Mm -hmm. terms of births. They have lots of children as compared to Japanese on the mainland. Uh, Yes, they are poorer, but they seem to live a happier life. Uh, So there's there's a trade-off that's being made somewhere. But certainly the trade-off that was made at their expense, which is here in Tokyo, where we live, all the major bases except for Yokota have been closed. And they're, clo- they're basically closing down Atsugi as a, as a U.S. naval base, uh, leaving it only for the self-defense forces. But everywhere, so we have these par- gigantic parks like Sh- Showa Kinen Koen right. in Tachikawa. Was a, that, was a, that was an airfield, an air base uh, that was turned over to the, the, the government, and which was then turned over to Tokyo, and it became a huge park. And we, so many of the facilities have been closed down on the main islands. And returned either to the, to the prefecture or to the, to the national government. Instead, all of the, f- the forces that used to be based here on the main islands are now been, have been shunted onto right. the giant bases on Okinawa. Well, I
0: understand that um, it, there were a couple of uh, projects that were considered, and one of them was rather than basing everything in Okinawa, let's move them to Guam. But then they discovered that if so many soldiers go there, Guam will actually flip over. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that was an idiot Democrat in the U.S. Congress, and as a Democrat, I am, I am deeply ashamed of that statement. As you should be. As I should be. <laughs> uh, the uh, well, he he later explained it was it was uh, meant metaphorically. Uh, I certainly hope so, uh, but. Uh, it looked metaphorical to me. Yes, well in this case, the, uh, <sighs> Guam is, a, is, is an interesting island. Uh, it's I, not Okinawa, though. It's not Okinawa, yeah. but the, the, it's, what is really interesting is that it is almost as if it were co-owned by Japan and the United States. Guam, if you go there, the uh, bus service is basically run for the Japanese, by the Japanese. All the signage is in Japanese. Everybody who gets in on or off it uh, has a pass from a Japanese travel agency. A local, if he or she tries to get on, has to pay $4 just to get on the bus. And that's a lot of money in Guam. It's a lot of money anywhere Mm -hmm. uh, just to get on. Uh, Now, Guam was, of course, a... uh, part of the United States a protectorate, that, protectorate right. that was occupied by Japanese forces and and uh, taken over. So it's a part of that history as well, and mm-hmm. it's a part of the commemorative uh, tradition, and pr- certainly there'll be events there having to do with, with what is going on. This year is going to be... Just one celebrate, one commemoration after another celebration. I keep using the mm. word celebration, but it's wrong.
0: It's not really a celebration. It's, it, it, you're right; it is a commemoration.
1: Um, there's there's a celebration for some people, uh, certainly for the Communist Party of Japan, which mm-hmm. was banned under the the pre 1945. Administration it's a celebration for women celebration for women who got the right to vote first celebration of time. for democracy celebration maybe. well democracy maybe. existed and and that's one of the arguments that the prime minister will make Japan has been and was a democratic state and even during its so called dark period it still had elections it's and and they had you know and social democrats well well you you could almost call them agrarian democrats were still winning seats in the diet. Into the in 1937, 1938, when the elections took place, they, it was not as if there was a massive turnover into a dictatorial state. There were actual leftists in the Diet right up until the beginning of the Pacific War. This so while everyone dumps on the on on Abe for having very strange views of history, it's not as if it's completely off base. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's talk a little bit about
0: what happened 70 years ago and how different it is now and what it was like kind of back then. Um, And to start that off, everything happened really quickly. The Battle of Okinawa, it ended in August. And then there was the atomic bombings, the invasion of the Soviet Union, and then the war ended. And... The commemoration is on September 2nd, when the signing of the actual peace
1: treaty occurred, is that right? Well, in this case, that would be the American view. The, the Japanese view is, of course, the, the August 15th emperor's first radio address ever it was not live. It was recorded, but it was the first time that anyone had ever heard his voice on August fifteenth, nineteen 1945, announcing that Japan would accept the Potsdam Declaration and accept unconditional surrender. Because, in the words of the emperor, the war has not gone as exactly as planned.
0: It hasn't gone particularly well for us. Uh, no, it
1: has not gone well for us. Uh, mm-hmm. Understatement of the, of the century award. Right. Uh, in this case, that's when it, the, the, the hot stuff is going to happen. The prime minister makes his statement, they have the commemoration with the emperor at the, at the Nippon Budhakan, uh in the morning, like they do every year. Uh, but it, I suppose it'll be have a few more people wheeled in than ever before last year. They, they, one of the, the statistics that the newspapers always quote is how many fewer uh. people are seated in the izokai seats, the, the war-bereaved seats, uh, each year. And I think they'll, they'll scour the retirement homes of Japan to fill up those seats this last time. Because it's 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 uh, in a sense, I mean, it's normal. It is becoming history, rather than being living history or living memory. Uh, But at the same time, so much remains unresolved, at least in the eyes of East Asia.
0: And there's a lot of shame that's affiliated with it too. I mean, even people who served proudly in the military services are. um, you know, because of the result of the war, we did not win, and I actually came back alive. There's, you know, based on traditional um, thought and traditional um, aspirations of, of the people to live on behalf of the emperor, uh, there's still something of uh, a
1: shamefulness that's assigned to that. And also, beyond that, there are those who, the one aspect of the war which may not come out this year, but may. It, it's really kind of questionable because, as you said, there was the Soviet Union's entry into the war immediately after the dropping of the bombs right. uh, on, on Hiroshima. Right in between them. Yeah. Uh, suddenly realized that the game had changed. What, what an opportunity. Uh, it was indeed. Uh, but for the Japanese side, and <clears throat> if you look at the statements, particularly uh, Koizumi's statement in 2005, he talks about uh, specifically those who were left behind outside Japan after the war. And what that is code word for is the gulags of the Soviet Union, the tens of thousands of Japanese who were captured in Manchuria and taken to Siberia and worked in the, the prison camps there and were there well into the 1950s. It was not an immediate repatriation. repatriation at, at, at the at the nineteen fifty one San Francisco Peace Treaty Conference, Yoshida Shigeru basically danced around who was responsible, but made very clear that the Soviet Union was was beyond the pale, and that was why Japan is signing with the United States a security treaty. Mm-hmm. Hello, you 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 people, you have our people, you have our land, and that aspect was something that. Abe Shinzo really did want to solve. We saw that in the, last, in the first year. He visited with Putin five, six times. Either Putin came to, to- Tokyo or he went to, to Russia or he went to international conferences. He met Putin constantly because he wanted in this 70th commemorative year to finally end World War II. Mm-hmm. Because World War II
0: they haven't signed a peace treaty yet, have they? No, it's not over. It's not over, that's it's, right. It's a, it's The war is technically ongoing. That's right, and why? These four islands up north? Not only that, but the other issues too. It is. This is so huge. And, you know, living here, sometimes the loudest concoction that you're going to hear on Tokyo streets are the election campaign vehicles that, that drive by during election time. Mm-hmm. That pales in comparison when the... Uh, the right wing is upset about the return of the the Northern Islands, or they demonstrate in front of the the Soviet Union uh, embassy, um, or, or they're just driving around town. Oh, well, well, if, if you
1: go to, to the the hill on which the Russian embassy stands, which is and it's hilariously it's right next to the American club. Yes. Uh, what is there on both sides of that street? I mean, it's a huge avenue. Gates, mm-hmm. and those gates can be pulled shut in an instant because the why? Every Tuesday and every Thursday, the big black trucks come and they actually pretend to charge the gates. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit of a, a dance. The, the, uh, it's a, it's a really not a strong enough gate to really stop a speeding bus, but they stop and the, the policemen just get the gate all the way across just as the bus is about to arrive, so maybe there's a little bit of coordination going on. Uh, but that area is in total lockdown all the time, mm-hmm. and it's because of those four islands, and that has not going to be resolved, mm-hmm. and that's a huge disappointment to Abe Shinzo, because he clearly was working Putin really hard the first year, but then of course the Ukraine and the Crimea happened, and in the Crimea this week we have the visit of former Prime Minister Hatoyama going to the Crimea. Well, that stirred up a little bit of a hornet's nest, didn't it? Oh, it's in it, crap. It, absolutely, it absolutely <laughs> is. Well, luckily, he's seen as a complete lunatic now. <laughs> Everybody used to call him the alien because of his looks mm-hmm. and because of his spacey way of talking, but really, he has put himself way beyond this universe in terms of his visits. Uh, and his talk, his visits to China, his visits to Iran, he's gone way off the deep end. And now by visiting Crimea and declaring that the referendum there was democratic, uh, he has turned off not only Japanese, but he's turned off the entire world. Uh, But not so long ago, in fact, last year in just around this time, Abe was in Sochi at the Olympics, very prominently. No Western leader would go because of the uh, controversy about, about the Russian gay, lesbian, and transgender uh, anti those laws that uh, made such uh, the uh, transmission of homosexuality uh, illegal Il- homosexuality wasn't legal, illegal, but somehow teaching people to become homosexuals was illegal—a really bizarre kind of thing. But no Western leader showed up except Abe at the Sochi opening of the Sochi Olympics. So he was surrounded by all these dictators from Central mm-hmm. U- Asia, and here he was, the, the one of the few elected leaders. He was really working it hard, and it's it's fallen apart completely and it's something that he would have wanted to have as his crowning achievement in this 70th mm. year.
0: Mm. Speaking once again about the end of the war and the displaced um, Japanese citizens who were spread throughout uh, Southeast Asia, and when the war collapsed, the, um, the armed forces were supposed to be repatriated. Not all of them made it, as you, you talk about, but there were civilians as well throughout all of Manchuria, uh, Northern Korea, um, China as well, and in their in their sprint to get back to the, the homelands, uh, many people were left behind, and there are lots of really um, just uh, horribly sad stories of children who were left there, young children, because otherwise we we can't carry you. We we have these packages and we have some, or we might be caught and killed. Right, you know, and there are plenty of uh, Japanese citizens who have been left there who are now 50,
1: 60, 70 years old, um, well, older than that. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, the repatriation issue was huge in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the the images of, not exactly, air, airliner fulls of, of of elderly Chinese coming to Japan and saying, hi. I am so and so's right. brother. I am so and so's sister. Is anybody here? Is anyone here? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm. I know. My parents told me that I was adopted. That I was actually a, a, a Japanese child, and you know that. That of course, with it, the, 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 those people are now at least 75, 78, and they're they're getting up there in age. Uh, and a lot of them tried to come back. Some of them assimilated.
0: Most it's of hard, them, isn't most, it? it's
1: very really difficult. Most of them didn't. Uh, that legacy was is certainly a leftover. Look, there may be commemorations of that. I haven't heard about it. it, it
0: I mean, because it, it became something of a a big news item about six years ago, mm-hmm. and people would be coming in and they would be looking uh, for their relatives, and to be. Just standing at the tarmac, nobody's there. Nobody has accepted or acknowledged them. Um, there were cases like that too, and how sad that must be for for them to have been brought up by um, Chinese parents and learn their heritage and have an opportunity to come back to the the motherland and find out that uh, you know maybe maybe my heritage is is gone, is dead, or maybe they're just not coming to the surface because. They've moved on in their lives.
1: Yeah, you know, the, I hadn't thought about the, the latter issue uh, because uh, we see a lot in Japan still about the issue of repatriation, not just of the living but of the dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes,
1: and uh, the return of remains. We had uh, recently on NHK the story of one family that is uh, currently. In a a very gentlemanly but still a dispute uh, with the government of Australia, having found out that their missing uh, relative actually died in in, in known in an Australian uh, prison camp, POW camp, uh, was interred there honorably in the cemetery and has a plaque and everything with his his name on it. Uh, They would like the remains returned to them and the Australians say, yeah, but that would really be sort of messing with history. And it's a very delicate issue, but it's very, very prominent. And, and it may be very difficult for Japanese to understand that sometimes you can't bring them back. Uh, and the, uh, we have the big battle, of course, also this year, Iwojima, 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 as we would say in the United States, a huge battle that also took place and where many, many Americans died, but many, many more Japanese defenders died. And tens of thousands are missing from that battle on this tiny island that we're, their, their remains are under hundreds of thousands of tons of rock. Because it's still
0: of, closed, isn't it? The it's it's island closed. is
1: basically closed. It's basically closed. They're, it's still covered with unexploded ordnance. Uh, there's just no pl- safe place to walk on it, really. They have one uh, runway which is used for practice takeoffs and landings, both by uh, American and by the, uh, the SDF uh, forces. But off, once you get off that tarmac and onto the, out in, into the, the sand and into the, the rock, you're taking your life in your hands. And mm-hmm. so the remains have not been brought back. And there will be a flight of relatives, the, the, of selected relatives, obviously not all of them, uh, which will come in, and land on the, that island, and on behalf of all those who lost their, their their loved ones in that battle, we'll be offering prayers to this land, this pile of rock and dirt, because the remains cannot be brought mm-hmm. home.
0: There was something in the newspaper just a couple of days ago, if I recall, about them discovering yet another entrance to one of the tunnel complexes in Iwo Jima, and I thought that that was really interesting. You probably only need to kick over a couple of, you
1: know, clumps of dirt to find something like that there. Yeah, it was absolutely riddled. The the American assessment was that it was a a work of genius in the defense of that island, that it was just absolutely honeycombed with tunnels, most of which the the entrances collapsed in the the massive bombardment that U.S. ships and airplanes gave it. Uh, But what really matters for, for Japanese there is ikotsu, the, the, the return of bones. Mm-hmm. And that's true even with the very, very uh, fraught relationship with North Korea. The return of the remains of Japanese there is the, really the only thing that connects the two countries now. So the return of Japanese has not yet happened fully. And that's a psychological scar that is also going to come up in this 70th year.
0: Well, speaking of the returns... How about the fabulous discovery by the co-founder of Microsoft of the second largest battleship
1: in the Philippine coast? That's right. The Musashi. Wasn't I don't that have, amazing? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, one uh, rather sardonic person said, yes, it's just where the Americans left it. Yes. <sighs> yeah. The, the, the sinking of the Musashi and of the Yamato. Right. Too uh, fabulous. Te- highly technical. Extraordinary. Of the, the largest ships of their kind ever made. Uh, completely wasted in a military sense, especially in the Yamato's case, which was went, sent to Okinawa. O- to Okinawa to relieve Okinawa with 5,000 sailors aboard who perished. It was on a
0: kamikaze run. It
1: was on a kamikaze run where the kamikaze was the largest piece of steel that had ever floated, ever. Uh, and yes, the Musashi was rediscovered by 70 Paul Elman. yeah. It's been a long time at the bottom. And that also, and the, the first reaction of the person, I was watching someone on television, someone said, you know, there are probably thousands of young men's remains in there. And it's not something I'd immediately think of, but it was the first thing on that person's mind. Mm-hmm. And the person was a Japanese citizen.
0: Yes. The, the huge changes, I mean... Take a look at um, even just 40 years, or maybe 40, 50 years, to to imagine, number one, Japan blossoming into the kind of country that it has become. But even um, more uh, personally important is uh, how the people have been accepted and um, blended or melded with other people throughout the world. When, when the Pacific War started it was like Japan was a black box they eat with sticks they they worship gods they they have a whole system and a whole culture that we just can't even understand and they're fighting their techniques of fighting and and pre, uh, preferring death over over survival mm. um, in certain situations it's just such an alien concept to us and and throughout this time um, they have matured into the country that we are in now, I'm married to a Japanese girl. I think my father, who fought in World War II, he he probably wouldn't have been able to accept that until, you know, after I had become much older and and left the family and, and started my own life. But what a huge difference, huge between what was then and what is now. And I guess you can say that about the whole world, but in particular it seems that Japan really has um, in 70 years, done just something magical and, and magnificent.
1: We saw at the Academy Awards this year, the, the film that won in the animation category, uh, which is called Big Hero 6 uh, in English, and here in Japan it's called Baymax. Uh, what's Where does it take place? In a city that's a melding of San Francisco and Tokyo together. And the maker of it... Uh, the, the the head of Disney Studios, Lassiter, very consciously says, you know, I, I'm deeply indebted to Japanese anime. And at this this same Academy Awards, the special award for achievement was given to Miyazaki Hayao of Studio Ghibli, that the the, the great master of Japanese animation who has given so much to the world. So at this very, very American ceremony. And, and, and this year uh, embarrassingly Caucasian ceremony, as they said was was the, was the uh, criticism of it because there were no people of color in the in the major acting categories being honored nevertheless uh, in this particular instance in terms of animation the the debt to Japan and to Japanese culture was acknowledged and celebrated and that's amazing when you think again at when you're trying to think of the Ruth Benedict view of the Japanese mm-hmm. as, as someone, as these really alien people. Now we are in deeply and I and, and, and hope permanently inter-
0: interlocked. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Uh, we've got the 70th commemoration coming up. What would be the most um, positive thing that could be said or the the kind of message that could be uh, conveyed? As, particularly not not to the the Eastern side, but to the Western side about, um, what Japan stands for and and what Japan uh, hopes to achieve after 70 years. Um, certainly there's a lot of bubbling resentment and, and it's, it's more than resentment. It's, it really is deep and, and, um, uh, difficult to, to resolve, I think. Um, sometimes just saying you're sorry is, is good enough. And that's, essentially what the Chinese are asking for, you know, admit what you did, you invaded us, you killed us, and so you should, you should accept that. And I think the Japanese stance is, it, you know, it, we developed you, we helped you. And as a consequence of that expansion, it was not something that we were doing in isolation. Every major advanced country was doing the same thing. And because of our um, development of your resources and your industries, you also came up and it wasn't our fault that you know somebody started a war with us but we had to pull the trigger when you know things got tough
1: hmm well you see Angela Merkel the chancellor of Germany also turned up she was up here, she this, was here this, just this week just this week, week. and her answer would that would be yes it would be nice if the countries of China and South Korea would be more receptive toward japanese apologies but it would be also nice if the apologies were unequivocal yes and that they were straight up you say what you did and she says you're right you have a, you have a problem we had france as our major partner and the french government and the and the people of france committed themselves to a better relationship with germany so that what germany has done and that's always the comparison for Japan. What Germany has done. Look at what Germany has done. And Oye Kenzaburo, Japan's Nobel Prize winner in literature, I went to his press conference this week at the Foreign Correspondence Club of Japan, uh, he just talked the whole time about how wonderful the Germans are. It was kind of dis- disconcerting, even embarrassing to listen to him, talking so almost in a, in a sycophantic way, in, in, uh, t- complimenting. German thinking on t- in terms of, of war, but also in terms of the nuclear issues, what, what he was talking about. But Angela Merkel came here and made some very serious statements about the way it would be best for Japan to handle the war issue. And it actually ticked off uh, the foreign minister, Mr. Kishido. A I would bit. imagine. He, he said, you know, well, that's not her business kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not in the, he was a little bit more diplomatic than that. So, yeah, but with this example of the Germans physically coming into contact, uh, it's a hard sell.
0: Well, it's like the Tokyo Olympics, which is in another six years, five years.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Five, yeah, they're behind schedule.
0: They are behind schedule. But (laughs) the, the, the Tokyo Olympics is an opportunity for Japan to take it to the next level, to be the uh, uh, it's an opportunity to really showcase what Japan has become and what Japan is going to become and similarly i think this this event of of commemoration for 70 years is an opportunity and um, i'm hopeful that they'll take that opportunity and do something with it i just don't know how how much that expectation could realistically be met because it is hard it is hard i think the the japanese who were utterly defeated and in the the whole nation was, you know, basically a, a ruin. Um, could could apologize for things that they thought they uh, they were doing in the best interests of their nation.
1: Yeah, well, we were at a. You and I were both at a, a at a conference yesterday, where from the floor came a question regarding the Olympics and uh, opening up Japan. And the person who gave the question. Uh, as a, just a, a proposition said, my guess is that about 70% of the tourists that'll come in 2020 are going to be Chinese. Yes, that's true. And he said, well, are we going to be ready? And he was talking about technology. He was talking about credit cards being usable, phones being usable. But it's the political side too. Are we going to be open enough to the possibilities that exist in this post- Seventieth anniversary world. Uh, Abe is going to have he he wants to be associated with the Olympics. It would be a miracle if he were still the prime minister at that time. He has to change the bylaws of his own party to do it. But he really has been pushing the Olympics hard as a theme, and one of the aspects of that is reconciliation with mm-hmm. East Asia because that's. From South Korea and from China is where it's the closest. It's the, the the people who are almost in the same time zone. They're, and they are lots of money. In the case of China, there must be, what, 30, 40, by that time, maybe 50 million millionaires mm-hmm. who can make this trip right. and make it and, and have, the, have the ability to do so. And if there is the software, not just the technological software, but the the human software established. There's a huge opportunity yes. there. Well, we just had
0: Chinese New Year, and I think half of those millionaires actually visited. <laughs> That's Isn't right, that?
1: yes. The, that I think the economy actually got a, a good tick out of that. Because oh, the, definitely. It's a great week for, for Japan. It, people say it's, it, it's a, a crazy week in China. It was a crazy week here. Mm-hmm. I understand in Okinawa, too, that Okinawa
0: is, is a very uh, hot spot for uh, Chinese visitors.
1: Well, it's just across the water,
0: Yes, um, which uh, is good and bad. <laughs> well, with that, I'd like to draw to a close today's conversation. You've been watching Tokyo on Fire. We've been talking about the 70th commemoration of the end of the Pacific War. You can download our podcast on iTunes, or you can watch the video on YouTube under the insidiary name of Tokyo on Fire. Post your comments using Twitter at hashtag TokyoOnFire. Or you can send us your comments to comments at TokyoOnFire.com. My name is Timothy Langley. Thank you very much for joining us.